0: Playlist with Fiona and special guest John. It's one thing to be born with this God-given 100 million years talent, but it's quite another thing when you overcome the insurmountable in order to do it. Welcome to The Playlist,
1: where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS. And I'm joined by my colleague and long-time listener, sometime co-host, John Bowen.
2: Great to be here, Fiona Hi,
1: John. Um, Our regular host, Ben Nguyen, is overseas at the moment acquiring great hashtag content at a TV market. Um, so he can't be with us this week, but great to see you again, John. Great to be here. <laughs> you were our first guest on the playlist way back when.
2: Way back in, I want to say, twenty sixteen.
1: It yeah, our first episode was uh, prior to the presidential election. Yes. so that's how I <laughs> that's how I look back at these things. Anywho, less said about that, the better. Yes, but uh, good to have you in the big chair again. Good to be here. What are we talking about today?
2: Uh, so today we're talking about Renee Zellweger's turn as Judy Garland in Judy. Uh, we're talking about the BBC HBO co-production Years and Years, which is coming to SBS next month. And we're talking about what we've been watching.
1: And not only are we talking about Renee Zellweger, we're also talking to Renee Zellweger.
2: I also saw her yesterday too. <laughs> so <laughs> well, it was a big day for Renee Zellweger. Exactly. Yeah. She saw
1: both of us. Yeah. yeah. Great. What do we start with? Judy.
2: Judy.
0: Somewhere. You need to take better care of yourself. You understand. Oh. Everybody has their troubles, and I've had mine. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Do you take anything for depression? Four husbands didn't work. You won't forget me, will?
1: So Judy takes place sort of at the end of Judy Garland's career, really. Um, She's quite broke, is dragging her children to various places to stay. She's living in hotels but can't afford the bill and faces quite a brutal custody battle with her ex-husband. So she takes a job in London a series of engagements singing at uh, Talk of the Town to perform sold-out shows. But she's got a
2: reputation for being unreliable. Turning up drunk. Absolutely. Forgetting song lyrics. Yeah. it's Yelling at the audience.
1: <laughs> all of that, all yeah. that good stuff. So there's a lot riding on these engagements, not least she needs the paycheck in order to have custody of her children. But while there, she's reminiscing with fans and friends and begins a whirlwind romance with her soon-to-be fifth husband, And I want to say soon to be fifth ex-husband as well. So, John, you saw it last night at uh, one of the premieres with Miss Elwey in attendance.
2: What did you think? Uh, Yes, well, I saw it with a very sympathetic crowd, as you can imagine, people who had paid to see the film but also mainly to see Renée Zellweger's Q&A at the end. So, yeah, the crowd loved it. Every every line got a laugh. Um, spoiler alert, she dies at the end. You would have thought the audience was not aware of that the way oh. they reacted to the the postscript mm. um that she passed away. <laughs> so, besides that experience which which was fun, I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty good film. Mm. Uh the performance obviously, which everyone's talking about, is amazing. The f- very first performance at Talk of the Town is phenomenal and right. is done in sort of, I don't know if it was actually shot in one take, but is done in a very long, close-up, sort of amazing way, which is beautiful. And uh, having now gone back and watched what that was based on, it's it's stunning. I think Renee Zellweger has done an amazing job.
1: Hasn't she? I know. Like, I think her performance stands out above the film here, I think, because it's just, A, the likeness. <laughs> like, in certain shots, you sort of in profile, it's, she's Judy and... You know, to look at her, Renee Zellweger does not look like Judy Garland, but, uh, yeah, magic of movies. But, yes, that single performance because, as we've said, you know, there was so much riding on, is she going to be able to sing? Because there were valid questions about her abilities there. So, yeah, but the the fragility and then it, this amazing number is yeah.
2: fantastic. Right. Something that biopics can fall into a trap of, which I don't think this particularly did, is just being a caricature or an impersonation. Mm-hmm. I think what this film did fall into the trap of was being a bit of a TV movie. Mm. Outside of her performance, I am I feel like we could have watched this on, you know, almost a midday movie. The drama, the popping pills in the back of cars. Renee Zellweger like, completely carries this film.
1: Well oh, totally. No, no, she's... she's- Absolutely the standard, why people are talking about this film,
2: for sure. Yeah, for for a story of a performer, it's just so tragic. It's (laughs) just, it's such a grim story. And when you read about how much people loved Judy Garland and her, like, stage presence, it's just so depressing Mm. because you just don't see any of that. You see her as this abused child and you see this waning star Mm. and you don't see any of it in the middle. You, You don't see her, you know at the peak of her career or why people loved her so much. So I think if you went into this without a lot of Judy Garland knowledge, it would just, well, it is a very grim film, but I think it would be even grimmer for people without any sort of context of to why people love Judy so much.
1: Yeah. Well, there are two characters who adore her and come to every single performance and are waiting at the stage door with flowers and, like, she befriends them and has. It's, there's a wonderful moment there that sort of speaks to the broader adoration of her. But, yeah, you don't see that. You don't see who it is that they fell in love with. Or yeah. the, this, it's, you see the consequence of a lifetime of performing and being expected to perform on cue. And we do get into this with in the interview with Renee Zogger, but um, the earlier part of her life that there is a flashback to her as a youngster, you know, being signed to the studio and Louis B. Mayer, mm-hmm. looms Large, the studio boss, the um, intimidating studio boss who ruled her life essentially and they put her on diet pills and uppers and downers and got her hooked at a very young age. So that that is alluded to and then you see what that creates <laughs> and decades down the track well, what that has done to her. So yeah. yeah it's the before and after and not a lot of in between.
2: Yeah. And Fiona, you had a chance to sit down with Renee Zellweger yesterday?
1: Sure did. Uh, like, it's not a super long chat because you don't get a whole lot of time in these junket-style interviews, but uh, yeah, we try and make it work and got the wind-up, so that's why it cuts off fairly abruptly. <laughs> anyway, here she is, Renee Zellweger. Well, Thank you so much for your time Renee. It's a real real treat to talk to you for me too. Thank you <laughs> Thank you. Um, so in playing Judy physically, you know It looks to the naked eye just sort of you know a, bit, a wig and some mannerisms and, and some makeup and suddenly <laughs> you're Judy But tell us how you become like how did you get into her skin? in, in such a such an incredible way
0: um, well I started just to, to dive into the archive of her legacy, really, looking at her interviews that she'd given and her television show, The Judy Garland Show, her appearances on chat shows, um, anything that had been written about her, anything anytime she had been interviewed, um, audio recordings that were rare, probably part of somebody's private library until recently, um, books, photographs, the public record, um, biographies from, you know, and autobiographies of people who claim to have known her and people that we know from public record didn't know her all of that I mean it's just there was so much material thank goodness and I felt so greedy because she fascinates me and um, I just wanted to to better understand how she came to be, you know, living with the circumstances she was during her final chapter.
1: Yeah, and that particularly, focusing the film on this final mm-hmm. chapter, can mm-hmm. we talk about that? Because, I mean, I appreciated it wasn't sort of a cradle-to-grave biopic, mm-hmm. um, because it's such a big life as yes. well. Yes, oh yes.
0: Um, but, but this particular moment mm-hmm. and what that what that represents. Well, I think that this is probably a point in her life that most people know very little about. I, I didn't, I knew nothing about, about the, the final months of her life and the things that she was struggling with, and I'm really glad that... Rupert um, and David, the director and the producer, wanted to focus on this part of her life because I think it's only in properly understanding um, what she was grappling with that you can truly appreciate how extraordinary she was. I mean, I think it's one thing to be born with this God-given one in a million years talent and to be celebrated throughout your life as a performer, but it's quite another thing when you overcome the insurmountable in order to do it. You know, challenges that you're having to navigate throughout your life because of decisions in large part that were made for you, not of your own will as a, as a very young person. And I think that just sets her apart, you know? Yeah. And I know it's not the section you're playing in the film, but uh,
1: the, that sort of Faustian pact with Louis B. Mayer, that, that, um, those moments, um, I mean, that's fairly widely known, but how, how aware of you with with those details and that how the instrumental role that played in, in her life?
0: Well, I knew that there were certain constructs within the studio system that were adhered to and that, you know, I suppose were not questioned at the time. You became indoctrinated into the system and you would work in a certain capacity and you would be marketed in a certain capacity and yeah, and and no one thought that well, this is abusive or thought to, you know, uh, question it or, you know, I don't know, speak out against it. Um, You also have to remember at that time what motion pictures meant internationally because today we have bespoke entertainment on our phones and we can watch whatever we want, whenever we want, and we don't share the same heroes. But at that time, voice cinema was a zenith, wasn't it, of notoriety and of influence. I mean, you weren't just celebrated for being, you know, um, I don't know, special as a movie star or a great beauty, but you shaped everything. You shaped the conversation. You shaped a societal sort of norms. You shaped what people would aspire to achieve in terms of what their lives lives should look like. Shaping history, in fact. It wasn't just entertainment at that time. So to participate in that, you know, what wouldn't you do if this was your dream as a young
1: girl? Um, and, of course, the singing and anyone who knows has seen Chicago knows you've got a mean set of pipes. But um, how did you nail that? This is also performance of singing. So how did you nail the voice and the sort of fragility of of this stage of Judy's singing career?
0: Um, Well, I I kind of, I tried to look at it from a, I guess, stylistic perspective to break it down in terms of qualities of the style of the singing as opposed to the gift, which is inimitable. Um, I thought, okay, let's just, break it down and, and learn that style of the time and the things that she did that were characteristically identifiable as Judy in terms of her performance language and go from there. And then it was just building. So it's just familiarizing and practice and then building. I just I just worked, you know, just did went through the steps and trusted that the process would deliver some kind of result <laughs> that belonged in this experience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and how, and uh, you know, now it has. That's it? Oh, Okay. Guys,
2: that was (laughs) clear. It was. She sounds delightful.
1: She absolutely is. That's the word I would use, yeah. Lovely for the moments, you know, you're there. She was thoroughly charming. So, uh, yeah, and you can tell I (laughs) was rounded out of the room pretty much very quickly, so they would run a tight ship, those junkets. Still got a selfie So as we say, it is her performance that's really being spoken of about this and there's all, you know, the usual hashtag Oscar buzz is following her everywhere she goes with this because you can sort of see any scene could be used as the Oscar clip because it's quite, it's a big performance. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you know, she's already got an Oscar. <laughs> see if she's uh, keeping room on the shelf to put another one there. But uh,
2: Well, certainly a better performance than uh, What If...
1: Well, see, I didn't see that. Her uh, show on Netflix, yeah. Yes.
2: Right. Which is, uh, you know. Not you to know.
1: rain on friend of the show, Renee Zellweger's Parade.
2: Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's a very interesting turn of events for a career, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, no offense to the show, which admittedly I watched every episode of, it is not very good. Mm. Uh, and then a couple of months later to. In Oscar buzz for Judy is you know it's a testament to I guess her versatility.
1: Yeah, because she hasn't really done any films for a while. Like she she did purposely take a break because it you know she's very good, but there is an element of backlash to things she does. Um, there were things very nasty. There was a stupid column written about her face by so Yeah of Variety, which was terrible yeah. years ago. Yeah, which is all stupid. So why wouldn't you just pack it in for a while? And say screw you guys, I'm just going to go produce things and do some TV, and um, she's got a production company, they've they've got to deal with MGM. So she's doing producing stuff as well as playing fading starlets for potentially Oscar worthy roles. Yeah. But this is coming out in a market that there's a lot of biopics about musicians or people in the music industry at the moment. <laughs> what is going on with that?
2: Yeah, I guess they sell a lot of soundtracks. And uh, my mum who goes to the movies every week loves them and mm. she's going to love this. So that, you know, ultimately that's who it's for, I guess. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody unbelievably won a lot of Oscars. Well, much like Rocketman, that wasn't entirely all of Elton John's life. It was a slice of time him and Rehab recalling elements of his life and his path to trying to get sober. This is is another moment in time kind of a movie that doesn't attempt to encapsulate an entire life in the way it tells a story, which I like because that whole biopic, paint-by-numbers way of showing them as a child, then throughout the entire, all the beats of the life, all of the husbands say, if you told, tried to tell Judy Garland's story in a chronological kind of way would be too much and I
2: think it would be just... Well, it would be like The Crown on Netflix. It would have to be eight seasons. <laughs> yeah, true, it would actually. have to have six different actresses. Yes. Um. But no, I, I totally agree. For, for my criticism of the film being so just tragic and sad, I think if you did try to tell that whole story, you'd not tell any of it very well. Yeah. So I do really like the conceit of taking a moment in a person's life and, you know, ultimately having that represent them because, again, I've said tragic like six times already, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it it, is. it's a tragic life and the, the last months of her life sort of summed it all up. Mm. Um, I did really like the flashbacks. I thought the the actress who played young Judy was really good. Mm. Like I could have watched a whole movie just about the making of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, but in the same way that uh, was it the Steve Jobs film that told his life just through those three keynotes where he, where he presented I think it was the iPod and the iMac and the iPhone or something. One of the Steve Jobs movies. Not the Ashton Kutcher one, we hasten
1: to say. The the
2: good Steve Jobs film. Yeah, the Michael Fassbender Um, as Steve Jobs one. I think the conceit of just finding a moment in a person's life to encapsulate them and then have some flashbacks or flash forwards is kind of the best way to do it because you cannot tell anybody's life in in two hours. (laughs) And that's why we're going to have six seasons of The Crown because you could never make a biopic about the Queen. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm sure they'll try. But yeah. Good luck to them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: And how can we uh, watch this movie, Fiona?
1: Oh, you want to see it again? Yeah. Uh, well, Judy is in select cinemas on the 17th of October, so what's that, next week, but uh, it is in previews this weekend. Check it out. Mom. <laughs> so now for something completely different, but still tragic. Uh Years and years.
2: Yeah. So if uh, Judy took us back sort of 40 years, this is going to take us 15 years into the future. Things were OK a few years ago.
0: Surprise!
2: But now, I don't know what to worry about first.
0: I'm only just beginning.
1: What's it going to be like for you?
2: We used to think the news was boring. <laughs> it turns out we were born in a pause. What sort of world are we in? So, Years and Years is a BBC-HBO co-production which aired earlier this year in the UK and US to great acclaim. Widespread acclaim. It's coming to SBS next month. It is a six-part drama written by Russell T Davies. Um, For those of you not familiar, he's the man behind Queer as Folk, the rebooted Doctor Who, Banana Cucumber, and the recently Emmy-winning A Very English Scandal. So as I said, years and years takes us 15 years in the future, but starts in the present day. So over the six episodes, we see the family go from 2019 to 2034, each episode jumping forward a few years. It follows one Manchester family across those 15 years and the political turmoil and technological evolution that takes place. It stars Emma Thompson, Rory Kinnear, Russell Tovey, Jessica Hines, and a bunch of familiar British faces. Mm. Um, As I mentioned, it does star Emma Thompson, who is not part of the family but does loom large over the family. Uh, She plays Vivian Rook, a businesswoman whose rise to power is intertwined with the fate of the family. It's not too much of a stretch to say that she's a bit of a Donald Trump. Mm.
1: It's not at all. (laughs) It's terrifying, this show. I love it. You know, I love me some dystopia, but wow. What you? I knew this from you raving about it initially. Um, I know you're a big booster for this show and I can see why because, yeah, I'm hooked and terrified and in love with it, so – Tell us why you love it so.
2: It's such an interesting concept. Mm. It's I still remember the, uh, the, you know, the first scene that we were shown when it was getting pitched around and just being immediately hooked. And I think the well, another comparison that a lot of people are going to make is Black Mirror mm. because it's that idea of just the very near future, not the, you know, not 100 years from now, yeah, not, we're not, not space travel, mm. just, you know, your phone's a bit smarter or your Alexa's a bit smarter. And it's that slow creep of technology that happens so slowly that you don't realise the massive leaps that you've taken in that process. So one of the sto- one of the plot points follows the daughter who wants to become transhuman, uh, which her parents confuse as transgender, um, but actually what she wants to do is upload her consciousness to the cloud. She she wants to merge with technology um, and with-
1: recycle her human.
2: Body, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, which as insane as that sounds is something that people are looking into, you know, in the same way that you might have a cochlear implant or an artificial eye, transhumanism is exploring where we're going to be in 10 or 20 years with that, like how far there is between our human bodies and being completely merged with technology. Mm. Anyway, that's just one of <laughs> the thousands of things that this show talks about. That's a side plot point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and as you say, Emma Thompson looms large. She's a populist provocateur, really, is sort of on a panel, much like a Q&A kind of a – or an insight kind of a forum. And, yeah, she's – her whole thing is, you know, she says what we're all thinking and haven't we heard that all before? But, um, yes, and over the years you gradually see how she right. wins over people.
2: Rises to uh, – rises to power.
1: Rises to power. Gets people who you wouldn't think – there's a sister who's out – you know, she'd be sort of on – a Greenpeace ship or she's out trying to save the world. Um, she's a humanitarian and, um, you know, advocate for social justice and even she <laughs> kind of tips in one point and you're thinking, what? She's even winning over people who you would not expect to be won over by this kind of a populist um
2: Yeah, it really plays into the whole rhetoric. idea of, you know, burn it to the ground, start from scratch, which we've seen politicians use recently.
1: Yeah, disruptors and all of that. Yeah, so... Emma Thompson's not in it a great deal but when she is it's memorable so you feel like she's in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's so fantastic. Much. She actually, you know, she's basically on television in the show yes. most of the time because it's the family watching her on the the Q&A style show. Um it's the family watching her run for prime minister, it's the family seeing her become prime minister. Yeah, it's fantastic and even though this is a sort of like a large extended family, the other sort of interesting conceit that the show uses and is part of, I guess, the technological the technological aspect of the show is that they all communicate over sort of an Alexa-style mm. device. So even though they're all in their different households, they might be watching television, they're all there talking to their, I think it's a Senor yeah. uh, that is called in the show. And, yeah, it's just it's a... Yeah, it's an incredible look at the way that technology just creeps into your life and completely changes the way you live.
1: Yeah, and you can all be together. It's that communal kind of experience. Um, yeah, they're not on their phones as much anymore or the televisions don't play as much a role. Um, they're watching it on their devices and the daughter <laughs> is perhaps one of those devices. But yes. um, at its heart, it is a family drama and you buy into their, they're changing fortunes, shall we say. But within that family dynamic, there's so much going on as well. Sort of there's the casual racism of um, the, like grandmother. the grandmother, yeah. And the generational kind of changes. Um, it's riveting. Yeah. I love it. I'm sort of midway through it at the moment, but uh, yeah, the, the there are scenes, there's just the speed with which things change that sort of feeds into your anxiety. The music feeds into that as well. There's just this forward momentum because it also, you know, time is passing quite rapidly.
2: Yeah, I think momentum is a really interesting way of putting it because, as I mentioned, the show does jump forward a few years every episode. So for the end of the first episode, for example, Donald Trump is just re-elected in his second term. So that's, you know, uh, only something that could happen in 2020, Mm. so not that far in the future. Um, A nuclear bomb is dropped at the end of that episode as well. Um, And then in episode two we cut forward a few years to see the aftermath of a second Trump presidency and a nuclear bomb being dropped in the South China Sea. Uh, Yep. (laughs) All (laughs) All good stuff. All wrapped up in a, you know, a quaint British family drama.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Yes, um... So it flashes forward over the course of 15 years in these six episodes of the show. So what are some real-life events that it aligns with or predicts?
2: So over the course of 15 years, it makes quite a lot of predictions. Uh, As I mentioned, it predicts that in 2020, Donald Trump is (laughs) re-elected, President of the United States. Uh, In 2022, it predicts that Queen Elizabeth dies at age 95 and that Ukraine is invaded by Russian troops, which... Mm-hmm. might happen earlier. In 2023, predicts Angela Merkel passes away. So one of the more interesting plot points uh, in one of the later episodes in the series is that the UK faces a refugee crisis um, with people not being able to get out, people not being able to get in, and it predicts that happens in 2024. Um it also i guess for one of the more fun predictions is it predicts that snapchat filters become sort of a real life thing in the yes. world where people are just walking around with um kitty faces yeah which again <laughs> kitty cat faces yeah which sort of isn't Un- too unbelievable, really, at this point.
1: Yeah, if a device comes over your face to then give you that filter. That's in episode one. That's not really yeah. a spoiler. That's, um...
2: Um, it suggests a cup of coffee will cost £12 in London in 2024.
1: Yeah, yeah. these are all just moments. Like, it's sort of just a... A scene or a line that, that sort of speaks to these.
2: Yeah. And there's a fun, there's a couple of like fun, well, it's not fun, but silly <laughs> little things like, you know, they predict butterflies become extinct in the UK, yes. that you can't buy a banana anymore because of climate change. Mm. Yeah. It's just the show's so rich in the ideas it brings up. Yeah. It's just so well done.
1: Yeah. I mean, the show that sparked a million listicles, really, of things like you're recounting right now. So, yeah, just in one saying the dense information it, it projects within a five-year kind of period. Um, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Oh.
2: And, yeah, I think what we're tra- trying to say is please watch this show <laughs> because it's brilliant. Uh, it does cover a lot of space and a lot of topics and...
1: But it is grounded in the family story and I think it needs to be because otherwise it would be just be too much and it, it would... Be much like I feel each morning when I wake up and reach for my phone and look at Twitter and what's happened overnight, and you know I'm just like, oh my god, not again. So it's it would be too much without having it grounded in a family story. So I think watching how the family itself is changing through time, as outside their doorstep the world is rapidly changing. So it it's kind of that. It's a lot, but at a pace.
2: Yeah, it's still very – I think the the beauty of the show is how relatable it is. It's dealing with these massive topics, but because it's dealing with it through the prism of just how a family would react, it makes it uh, such a compelling watch. Mm. And I think – again, this isn't a spoiler, but um, when we were talking about sort of how we would sort of pitch this show to an audience, um, one of the sort of broader themes that came up is the idea of how complicit we are in the world that we have created. Mm -hmm. And I think just as a sort of a broad brushstroke, what is this show about? I think ultimately it's about, you know, what are we doing to create the world that we want to or not want to live in. Mm. And I think that's just such a rich territory for a show to explore. Um, And I'm really excited that it's airing on SBS.
1: Me too. So Years & News starts on SBS on the 6th of November with a double episode, with episodes available at SBS On Demand straight afterwards. And uh, thereafter, each new episode is screening weekly, Wednesdays. So now we come to the part of the show that we'd like to call What Have You Been Watching?, where we talk about what we've been watching. John, what have you been watching?
2: <laughs> uh, I've been watching a Netflix series called Explained. Explained? Oh, okay. So, Explained is a documentary series on Netflix. It rolls out weekly as opposed to a lot of their other content, which they drop all at once, which I quite enjoy. It's produced by the website Vox, which Mm -hmm. some people might be familiar with. And basically, each episode is just a topic that they explain to you. It's really that simple. Uh, The comparison I like to make is it's sort of like a documentary equivalent of Wikipedia. Like, if you don't know, you know, you don't know the history of something, you go read the Wikipedia article, you're you're vaguely up to date on it. (laughs) Uh, And this series does a really good job of bringing a topic to life through interviews, through graphics, through archive. The episodes are all about 15 to 20 minutes, which, to be fair, is all you need for sort of a 101 intro to most of these things. Um, But as an example, in season one, the topics were as broad as music.
1: (laughs) They are brought then.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cricket. Um, monogamy. Uh, the exclamation mark was a whole episode. Um, esports. The stock market. Diets. K-pop. There's really, there's no sort of rhyme or reason as to the topics. Mm. It's just that there's an interesting story to tell about why they exist. And I think it's a fantastic format. You kind of walk away from it feeling slightly smarter than you did before. Even if it's something you think you know a lot about, you get a little bit more insight. And even if it's something you think you don't care about at all... Cricket. Like cricket, you still, you know, find out there's a sort of a fascinating history to it. Um, So I highly recommend it. Season two has just started, again, rolling out weekly. First two episodes, again, as random as ever, have been cults and billionaires, which there's some interesting history to. Some related. Yeah. (laughs) And the the other thing that I really like about it, and it's such just a such a like a small touch, is that they get a different person to narrate each episode. Um. Usually sort of a celebrity of some sort that may or may not be related to the topic. But in season one they had everyone from Christian Slater to Samira Wiley, um oh, to And Tales to own. To Kristen Bell, Rachel Bloom, Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer did the political correctness episode. Of course he did. Um, so, yeah, that's rolling out weekly on Netflix. And they also dropped a special um, mini series called The Mind Explained, which was five episodes yep. all about the mind, narrated by uh, Emma Stone, of all people, which I would also highly recommend.
1: Hmm. Why did that one get five episodes?
2: Uh, so they broke it down into different topics around memory, dreams, anxiety, mindfulness and psychedelics. So I guess it was broadly the topic of the mind, mm. um, but they broke it up into five episodes.
1: Can't break up music. <laughs> anyway. A- every,
2: I... <laughs> a- a- everything that's ever needed to be say, said about music can be said in 18 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the exclamation mark could be. <laughs> yeah, that's the mini series waiting yeah, to happen. totally. It's the crown kind of proportions. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, you sold me, exclamation mark.
2: But uh, why don't you explain what you've been watching? I see what you did there. <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never come <coming> back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I have been watching Dead to Me. Also on Netflix, this one stars Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. It's a comedy drama. Christina Applegate has just lost her husband sort of in recent months. She's still going through the grief process. I mean, not that that ever stops, but you know what I mean? It's more immediate and she's going to counselling and just really not not coping very well and meets a strange woman at her counselling group, played by Linda Cardellini, and they make a... Kind of an immediate attachment. And there's something weird going on with her but you don't know what. Anyway, so they get into each other's lives very quickly and it's a close confidence because essentially uh, I'm using the actress's names for some reason but Linda Catalini treats her like no one else is treating her at the moment because everyone walks on eggshells around her because she's recently bereaved and it just is refreshing to have someone speak to you like
2: Because times. Because of the shared experience. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Oh. oh. Uh Is it a comedy drama?
1: It's very funny. Yeah. yeah, it's a drama but it's funny and uh yeah, I love it. It's really dark and ribald um and sweary and fun. And James Marsden is in it as well and he I've grown to like him a lot more <laughs> as he's matured um he plays a very good version of himself in this sort of a bit of a bit of a douchey guy. Uh yeah, very funny. He's well, I don't want to say too much about it. You should watch it. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. Um,
2: Netflix was uh really pushing it on me for a while. Um, and I think I thought it was sort of supernatural, but it's not, based on how you're explaining no, it. No thought there were ghosts and things.
1: No, one of the children does think the father has been reincarnated as a bird. And that is that figures quite heavily in the trailer yeah. for some reason. But no, it's okay. not a supernatural one at all. No, it's just about coping with grief and a weird friend and secrets and
2: lies and such. Have you finished?
1: No. Okay. Just popping it on whenever there's something to watch. So no, a few Epsi in about four or five. Yeah. It's not perfect, but it's quite very durable. I'm having a good time with it. So that's Dead to Me and that's on Netflix.
2: I think that's about all we've got time for today, Fiona. Thanks for having me.
1: You are so welcome, John. Thanks for coming. But this is probably not goodbye. I think it's more see you later.
2: Well, if you'll have me back. (laughs)
1: haven't disgraced yourself too much, because you're also heading off overseas to join Ben at this international hashtag content market.
2: Yes, I'm heading over tomorrow.
1: Well, la-di-da. Give us a little glimpse at the glamorous life of the, uh, sorry, I I don't know why I laughed then, the... uh, (laughs)
2: it's it's worthy of a laugh uh well this is actually the first time i'm going to this specific um market uh but basically it's just uh five days where you have 15 minute meetings uh from sort of nine to five every day with a bunch of distributors and producers and broadcasters from all over the world trying to find some of that great new content to bring to sbs i'm i'm really excited to go this is the first time i've gone to mip which is the the one in france uh, but, yeah, it's a great chance to see what sort of television the world is making. Uh, you definitely sort of see the trends that are emerging, you know, whether it's like cooking shows or um, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to see what, the, see what the world's got planned for television in 2020.
1: So you basically going on a big shopping spree looking to
2: anyway. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm excited too because whatever you get we might talk about on an upcoming episode of The Playlist well, to make it about me. Yeah,
2: that, that's the plan. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, well, good luck. Bon voyage. Thank
2: you
1: I was going to say not one lesson, but that's a lie. I've had several and that's as good as, <laughs> as, good as it gets. And we'll see you on the flip side. Yep. Yes, and say hi to Ben over there on the Riviera. <laughs> so while both John and Ben are off uh, shopping overseas for quality shows, we're going to have a little break on the playlist. probably we'll back in a couple of weeks to find out about their adventures. So until then... Uh, Why not give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, it helps other people find the show. If you want to tell us what you've been watching, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook
2: at SBS Movies.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. John, where can we
2: find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at iDance. The playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. And until next time... Thanks for listening.